You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. tarot cards, astrology, all these kind of things, extrasensory perception, those kind of things, outside of the Word of God and the clear direction of the Scriptures, you open a door for the enemy. Even religions that aren't based on the Scriptures, you can get into a religion, and don't we have a New Testament verse that warns us against doctrines of demons, right? So you open a door, you're going down the wrong path, it's not based on the Word of God, you open a door for the enemy. Our enemy Satan has been very successful in blinding us to the spiritual warfare happening all around us. If you hear a story of someone experiencing demon possession, you'll likely think of a fictional horror movie, or maybe you'd rather blame it on a chemical imbalance, something that can't be avoided and simply requires medication. As Pastor Danny will warn in today's message, we need to stop ignoring this very real element of our existence. That ignorance can easily open us up to attack. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 5, as he continues his message, The Case of the Deviled Ham. The Apostle Paul wasn't possessed, but he was afflicted and he was oppressed, but it was in the sovereign will of God. A messenger from Satan afflicted him for the rest of his earthly life. We know that, but it was in the sovereign will of God to keep him humble. All right. That's not always the case, but Christians can be oppressed by demons. Christians are also, as well as non-believers, enticed by demons. James 1.14, each one is tempted, one by his own evil desire, he's dragged away, and then he's enticed. You want a real scriptural example of that? All you got to do is go to 1 Kings chapter 22. And in 1 Kings 22, and let me, let me summarize the context of this, uh, King Ahab, wicked king who won't listen to the word of God, won't heed the word of the prophets in his day, and so he's going the way of the devil. Could I remind us there's only two ways? There's no in-between. You say, well, I'm not really going the devil's way. I'm just not going really going God's way. No, no, no. There's no, there's no in-between. You're either going God's way or you're going the devil's way. There's no in-between. And if you want to go the devil's way, in other words, you don't want to go God's way, then God will, for those that really choose to go that path uh, stubbornly and continue on it, God will oblige you in time. And that's what happens here. King Ahab, Micaiah the prophet, verse 19 of 1 Kings 22, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. This includes, like in the story of Job, not only the angels that stayed committed to the Lord, but those that didn't. You just read on. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? In other words, he wants to go the way of the devil. 
This is, what he's gonna, this is how he's going to end up. One suggested this, another that. Finally, a spirit came forward and he stood before the Lord. He said, I'll entice him. The Lord said, how are you going to do it? He said, I'll go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, that'll do it. Go. And Ahab, believing these false prophets that he had gathered around himself to say what his itching ears wanted to hear, said, go ahead, attack Ramoth Gilead. You'll be victorious. And one of his prophets even made an illustrative thing with these horns and said, so will you be victorious, you know. I think that was that story anyway. The prophet said, you go be victorious. And, And so he listened. He's deceived, willingly deceived, and he went to his death. So it behooves us to guard against satanic influence in our lives. I'm talking not only, I'm talking Christians as well as non-Christians. And the way you start a non-Christian to give your life to Christ. There are degrees of satanic influence a person, on a person's life. Uh, and I believe, I don't believe Satan just has the right to just invade somebody's life, carte blanche. I believe there's got to be an open door. And I believe that's scriptural. I believe it's, you see it all throughout. I believe there's got to be an open door. The devil, it says, roams around, so be self-controlled and alert because he prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Ephesians, and do not give the devil a foothold. And this is talking to Christians. Don't give the devil a foothold because a foothold, if not dealt with, becomes a stronghold. What are some of the open doors, non-Christian and Christian? Some of the open doors, drugs, believe it or not, drugs. Revelation 21.8, speaking of those who are cast into outer darkness, they won't enjoy the world that those who are saved will enjoy one day with the Lord in heaven. Uh, And one of the characteristics of those people, it says they practice magic arts. Interesting word, translated magic arts. You know what it is? Pharmakias. We get our word pharmacy. They're not only doing magic arts, they're using drugs also connected with it. So even drug use. When I became, you know, I had a love affair with marijuana. That grew to a love affair with pills. That grew to a love affair with LSD for a period of time. That grew to a love affair with cocaine. And the practice of my drug use was an inroad for Satan into my life to bind me. Because what he wants to do is use those drugs to hold you. And make you captive. And now you're not free. You're a slave. You're enslaved. I would say to people, even while I was smoking pot, I can quit anytime I want to. And I would do it while I was token on a joint. I was self-deceived. I wasn't free. The occult ought to be obvious. The Ouija board is not an innocent toy. You mess around with a Ouija board, you open a door. Tarot cards, astrology, all these kind of things, extrasensory perception, those kind of things, outside of the word of God and the clear direction of the scriptures, you open a door for the enemy. Even religions that aren't based on the scriptures, you can get into a religion and don't we have a New Testament verse that warns us against doctrines of demons, right? So you open a door, you're going down the wrong path, it's not based on the word of God, you open a door for the enemy. And then there's what's called generational curses. Yes, I do believe in generational curses. It is Old Testament scripture, but I think it has New Testament application. If your mother is a witch, that's not good for you. 
If your parent is an alcoholic even, those kind of things, not that they're necessarily demon-possessed, but they have a bondage area in their life, and that can be spiritually passed on. I know some of you go, I didn't think you believed in that kind of stuff. I, I do. Now, there's a degree where you got to go, don't go beyond, but I'm not sure where that line is. All I'm saying is there's, there's things that can be passed on. But here's the good news. And please accept this because it's so scriptural. It's so scriptural. Once you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that generational curse is gone. It's broken. It is broken. Now, you have to do the same thing that any normal person and Christian has to do and not give place to the devil. If you give place to the devil, you can give him place to go back. All right, but you don't give him place. Don't give him a foothold. Now, let me say this. Sometimes people don't think about this, but let me give you the verse before the one I, I quoted a minute ago in Ephesians 4 uh, from verse 27. Don't give the devil a foothold. You, here's the context of that. In your anger, verse 26, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. The context of that has to do with an attitude. 1 Samuel chapter 18, after David slew Goliath and the king, Israel's first king, King Saul, after David slew Goliath, they come back into the city. The girls are singing, David has slain his thousands, or Saul has slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. Here's what the scripture says. Verse 8, 1 Samuel 18, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They've created David with tens of thousands and me with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, he kept a jealous eye on David. He's angry. Now he's jealous and filled with jealousy. That because he allowed it to simmer, turned to bitterness, turned to hatred, turned to uncontrolled rage. Next verse, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. And then now this outburst that had satanic enticement and satanic influence. He tried to take David's life. You can't get more practical than that. But you go back, 1 Samuel 16. Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Verse 23. Whenever the spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. The relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. But as he continued to resist, what I just read that happened while David was playing the harp. One of the things we discovered was Cindy. One of the things we would do when we were Cindy, especially a group of us, uh, at times, I remember once back at, we were meeting at Shortcrest Prep School and, and initially dealing with Cindy, and there's a group of us there, and we just began to gather around and sing praise songs. And that sent Cindy into a tither. And that's one of the ways you do battle, is through praise songs. But here Saul had gotten to a point where even David playing the harp, he's still being given over because he's not resisting, he's not submitting, he's not repenting. One last open door you better be careful for. Here it is. Prolonged 
willful disobedience. I'm talking for the Christian. And we can argue demon possession versus oppression all we want. All I'm saying to you is the scripture is very clear. Don't give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold because footholds become strongholds. And you can be enslaved as a Christian. You can have uncontrolled anger. You can be given to lust. You can be given to pornography. And you're no longer free. You're not, in my opinion, technically possessed because I don't think somebody who has the Holy Spirit living inside them, I don't think the Holy Spirit is going to share the house with somebody else. Now, again, you get in the semantics there. Let's not argue over the semantics. While I'm possessed by the Holy Spirit, I can give place to the devil in my life and no longer be free. And when you're no longer free, you're no longer filled with the Holy Spirit. He's there, but he's not pervading your life. He's not filling your life. He's not overflowing your life. Back to the story. Why did they ask Jesus to leave? After the guy's delivered, he's sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and the people come out, and they, and they see, and they say, we don't want you around here. Please leave. Well, let me read again verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Can't separate those two. Not only is it kind of woo-woo weird, but they lost 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of the economy tanked. You go back and you read Acts chapter 19 and the gospel effect in Ephesus and the gospel had such effect, a wonderful effect in Ephesus that people brought their magic scrolls, their books on all these demonic kind of uh, readings and practices and they had committed their lives to Christ and they came and they piled them all up together and they had a big bonfire. So people not buying these scrolls anymore and they were selling a lot of them. Not only that, they were making these little idols. The number one goddess worshipped in Ephesus was Artemis of the Ephesians. And now nobody's, a lot of people not buying these idols anymore. And the union got together and the leader there said, you know, we made a good deal of money selling these things. And this guy, Paul, he's come in and he's caused all kinds of problems and he's hurting the economy and he's discrediting the great goddess uh, Artemis of the Ephesians and a riot breaks out in the city. And they go to throw Paul and everybody out. Same thing here. You got a people that are more concerned about their economy and what they'll lose when Jesus comes to an area and begins to clean things up. Listen, if Jesus was able to really clean up Tampa Bay, Jesus really able to clean up Tampa Bay, there's a lot of people right now that'd be out of business. There's a lot of people who won't have jobs. Mons Venus and whatever else is around, you know, they'd shut down because the, the person that owns it would now say, I can't do that anymore. You got to find a different job. And now you can't employ these people. Listen, it's going to change things culturally when people get set free. There's a cost, but it's worth the cost. What a challenge for the church, this story. What a challenge for me as a pastor. Not to get settled in and go, thank God for all he's doing. Thank God. Oh, I, and I thank God for the people that go down to JDC every week and minister to these children, these children, these teenagers that are, have such awful backgrounds and awful home lives. And some of them, some of them probably demon-possessed. 
certainly afflicted and oppressed. And if we don't get out of our routine and are willing to go down there and sacrifice a little time, there are people that won't be set free, and they need to be set free, and we've got the answer. Thank you to those of you who regularly go to the local prisons and go in and literally minister to a captive audience. And thank God for all the ministries that are reaching out. But listen, listen, let's don't be satisfied with the status quo. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. Oh, God, send fresh open doors and fresh workers into the harvest field. And the good news is this. There is nobody, nobody that's hopeless. Here's a story, a real-life story of a man who Luke says was not only bound hand and foot in chains. Luke's account tells us that they had guards to guard him, and nobody could contain him. Nobody in their world could help him, but Jesus showed up, and Jesus set him free. And there's nobody without hope. There's nobody too far gone. Great challenge for the church. William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, said, Some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Amen. I'd love for this place to be filled with former demoniacs. But now, here's what I didn't see in the beginning. While everything I believe I've shared in this teaching on this wonderful, wonderful story of the deliverance of this demoniac, the case of the deviled ham, I've given you some of the particulars. Let me pull the camera back and let's take a broader view in closing. Here's the broader view. Here's what I put in my notes. There's a good chance that none of us will ever cast demons out of someone. I think that's probably true. There's an equally good chance that none of us will ever be actually demon-possessed. I sure pray that is true especially by a legion of demons. But here's what I wrote in my notes. So is there a point to this story that the vast majority of people can benefit from and relate to? And I think there is. And here it is. Even if you're not demon-possessed, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior and you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, your receiving Christ as Lord and Savior is no less dramatic or supernatural than the deliverance of this demoniac who's filled with legion. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You lived among the dead. You lived in the tombs in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, even those who don't realize it, who don't realize it. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're held captive by the enemy. That's why this prayer in the context of reaching people for Christ from first Tim or second Timothy two, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taking them captive to do his will. And some people don't even realize it. They think, no, I'm just doing my own thing. I know I'm not, I know I'm not a Christian. I'm not a churchgoer or whatever. Uh, what they don't realize is they're doing exactly what Satan wants them to do. And he's leading them down a path to destruction. Now, it gets even more practical. Titus, one time, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Now, here's the thing I said earlier. I'm going to remind us of again. I have a responsibility as a Christian not to give place to the devil. And if I give place to the devil, the degree into which he can come back and have place in my life is really up to me. But Jesus wants me to be free. In what way? Last verse. 
Next to last. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. You can be a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives within you, and you can be addicted to drugs. You can be a Christian, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and be addicted to pornography. You can be a Christian. Holy Spirit lives in you, and you're given to lust and adulterous thoughts and even industrial relationships. And here's what Jesus wants. The Corinthian church, they tried to make excuses for their carnal lifestyles. They would say, but everything's permissible. What they're saying is, it's all by grace. And Paul would say, yeah, but everything's not expedient. Therefore, I will not be mastered by anything. Let me give you one last thought to consider. Christians should be able to put the fork down. You ought to be able to put the fork down. Gluttony is a sin. We don't talk about it a lot in the church, but gluttony is a sin. When I see Christians that are so out of shape and it's their own fault, it's their own fault, man, develop some self-discipline and say no. Say no. Discipline your life. Skip a meal every now and then just to say, I'm developing self-control in this area. Because you may be walking around going, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. Yeah, but you can't put the fork down. That's sin. That's sin. And no matter how small you might consider the stronghold, it's still a stronghold. And so you go from two ends of the spectrum today. One is a man that nobody else could help and the world had written off and now he's living in the tombs and yet Jesus shows up. There is nobody that's hopeless. You may be helpless, but you're not hopeless. Anybody can be set free. And you swing it all the way the other way. And you go, well, I'm not like him, but you know what? I do have an issue. I can't seem to say no. Or you got an attitude. Or you got anger issues. And look, all those things can be brought under control. But you have to want to be free. It means a submitting your life daily to the lordship and the reign of Christ. And some people, even Christians, aren't willing to do that. You say, well, I'm going to keep going to church, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to go too far, but it's this area. I don't want to give it up. And if you don't want to give it up, then you'll stay enslaved to it. Well, let me tell you, it's much better to be free. It is so much better to be free. And I'm not saying I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived, but as far as I know... You know, for 20 years, I didn't eat dessert. Last, the beginning of this year, I started eating dessert again. And now I'm eating double dessert sometimes. <laughs> and that's one area. I have to watch it now. And my family even ribs me as I try to justify it. Because I'll put a bunch of fruit on top of the ice cream and say, well, it's more fruit than ice cream. <laughs> I guess I won't have dessert tonight. Maybe for lunch. Maybe just a little. But come on, let's be, I mean, let's just be real. Let's just be real. These are areas. Hey, Jesus wants us to be free. Be free. And it's wonderful not to have anything in your life that controls you. And that you, that, that you can't be free of. None of us will be sinlessly perfect until we see Jesus. But we can be free. We can be free. Isn't that wonderful?
Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Mark on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well to stay up to date with the latest teachings and videos. Feel free to share them with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. So if you're in the St. Petersburg area, join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. Once more, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. There's more to learn in the book of Mark. Pastor Danny will continue looking into this important gospel book right here on The Living Word.